my daughter and her friends were down here in my basement for New Year's, and I am hoping they did not touch my soundboard. Did you say my daughter and my friends? No, my daughter and her friends. Oh, okay. Whew. Yeah. No. Well, that would be weird. <laughs> I'm like, what do you, what the? Mm, no. Anyway, good morning. Oh, boy. Yeah, maybe I do need more coffee. No, they were, they were down here, and she promised me she cleaned everything up, and I sit down here at my recording table, and there's an open box of cookies. It's like, great. <laughs> well, that sounds like my recording table. That's, that's, they've been open for a week <laughs> in my basement where all the critters come in. Right, yeah. If I had them open for a day unattended here the mice would have scurried them all away somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's next to a open box of Marvel Comics Monopoly. Nice. And Munchkin Deluxe. Mm. There's some some fun games going on here. But uh yeah, so that's that's what's happening down here in my nice. basement. Nice. <laughs> down in the basement. In the basement. Right where you should be. Yes. Some crocheting supplies, a half crocheted Elsa. Ah. Which does not have arms yet, which makes her extra creepy. Or hair. Or hair. Imagine a bald Elsa with just legs. <laughs> now I have that. So thanks. I, I'm fairly certain it. your wife has a picture of it that mine sent over. So uh, you'll have it's um Probably. It is super, super creepy looking. Well, if it's super creepy and it's some sort of a plushie, I'm surprised we don't already have it in our house. Yeah, maybe, maybe my daughter will stop working on this and just send it to you just guys. Just send it, yeah. That um, that that would seem to be fitting. Yeah, yeah, it probably would. Uh, it's uh, yeah, it's um, it's disconcerting to say the least. <laughs> so disconcerting. I'm going to send you a picture of it. Okay, super. <laughs> uh, so I have that going for me. There we go. That'll pop up when you least expect it. Hmm. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> here we are. It is January. It is. It's about time. We'll see if we can have a better year this year. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. What could possibly go wrong now have that everything's we, under control? <laughs> we say, Don't we see that every year? Yes, like, we do. Oh, God. I'm so glad 2022 is over. It's got to be a better year this year. Mm-hmm. I'm like, do you all remember 2019 and 2020? Mm-hmm. <laughs> better than what? I mean, what is your most recent, like, uh, low bar? That you're gonna set, you know, your performance of your year to. Gosh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it just, just all I know is it's Saturday and tomorrow's Sunday, and that's about as far ahead as I can think. I saw a meme the other day that I completely agree with, and it was something along the lines of, "Why do humans try and make a change, uh, a mass, massive changes in their lives?" In the dead of winter. Shouldn't we wait for spring for that? <laughs> I'm like, that, I couldn't agree more. Oh, that's such a good point. <laughs> this is like, and certainly for those of us in the in the climates that freeze, uh, this is, winter is time for fires and cozying up and, and retreating. hibernating. Yeah. Retreating, exactly. <laughs> Jeez. This is not the time where you finally decide that you're going to make these life-altering, you know, decisions spend thousands of dollars on exercise equipment that you're going to hang wet laundry on the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. That Let's is be realistic. That is such a good point. I mean, spring, we all get that burst of energy in the spring, just the sun, the vitamin D. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> and now you're... is now is curl up in a little ball and and just wait kind of right. weather. Right. So if you're really interested in making a change in your life, do it when you have an environment that is 
that is supportive of change and energy and rebirth. And that is spring. It's not freaking winter. Mm-hmm. Ugh, stupid humans. Oh, that is so true. It, it it actually leads perfect into perfectly into my topic for today. <laughs> oh, perfect. Um, awesome. I'm, w- I'm glad I could help. You, you you could, but but before I do that, I just have to say real quick, new patron. Mm-hmm. It, 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 I I real Ariel, but with an I. So, so I I have no idea what kind of name that is. It's 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 a very pretty name. New um, patron. New awesome. patron. So thank you for joining us. Four people now listening to us. Four four. <laughs> well, four and a half. All right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> awesome. So thank you for that. So us. Yes. Thank you for joining. So anyway, back to back to that great segue of of trying <laughs> new things at this time of year. Dry January. So I I had intended I had thought about trying dry January and then <laughs> and then a buddy of mine a, a, a buddy of mine sent me a note on like the 29th of of december and said and i had didn't have any beer in the house i just had some athletic here and i was like i may i may try to do this and my, my initial thought honestly was maybe i'll not keep anything alcoholic in the house and only drink when i go out so there there's there's progress there and a, a friend of mine sends me a note and says hey i'm not gonna get the eagles game on on sunday which of course is the first of january mm-hmm. um can can i come over i'll bring the beer <laughs> <laughs> and oh, nice. And I'm like, okay. So now yeah. I have beer in the house. <laughs> it was like January for all of like eight hours. Exactly. Caved already. Exactly. <laughs> January 1st, we've got a collection of bottles on the counter. Wow. Um, you know, I had never had before. He brought the Samuel Smith um, Imperial Stout. Oh, yeah. I've um, had that. And, um, you know, it's so refreshing to see an Imperial Stout that's only 8%. <laughs> right. Exactly. And such a smooth beer. Oh. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. How about that? We did that, and then we f- we followed it up with some Yingling Black and Tan, which might as well be water by comparison. Oh yeah, um, totally. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, so yeah, now I have beer in the house again. Ah, I see. Anyway, Dry January did not work for me, but dry- there was an interesting article I I saw last week, and it's called "My Sober Feud with Non-Alcoholic Drinks," and we've talked a lot mm-hmm. about NA on mm-hmm. here and about athletic. And the um, the the trends, and I think what last year, what like one half a percent of the beer market was non-alcoholic, but growing. Yep. And uh, overseas, it's much higher than that. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a normal way of life outside of North America. But you and I both have have really enjoyed getting into some of this non-alcoholic beer. I I drink them at two o'clock in the afternoon while I'm working. It's just like oh, mm-hmm. I can have a stout while I'm working on this program. <laughs> this is great. great. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, beer soda for all intents and purposes. Well, this article has a very interesting conceit around it, which is that for someone who is, is in recovery and is really trying to, to be careful and not slip, non-alcoholic drinks are a trigger. And, and the way he puts it, I, I have a quote here, which I thought was so interesting, um, because of my past relationship with alcohol and my current one with sobriety, drinking non-alcoholic drinks feels kind of like hooking up with an ex. It's not what it used to be, and once your cup is empty, all that's left is guilt. <laughs> Ouch! Yeah. Wow, that is dark. I love it. I love it. it but it, it gives you all the the context you need. <laughs> I mean, it, it's perfect in, in the way it describes it. And I can completely see it. So it's interesting... I follow there's a there's a non-alcoholic um beer group on Facebook. And 
I've actually grown a little tired of following it because it is so invested in the recovery side of things. I which think is, they kicked me out because I don't get that feed anymore. They kicked you out. Well, what did you say? Uh, what don't I say? Oh, I mean, that's, God. I mean, there's so many things. I mean, what could I say? I don't know. I haven't seen, I haven't seen posts from them in months. Huh. Interesting. Maybe they did kick you out. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But it's, it's, it's interesting because you see talk about a lot of them, but you also see a lot of recovery talk, which is, which is great for these people that, that need that. Um, but, I, but I'm looking for a place just to hear about these beers and, and, that that's not an avenue that um I don't know how to say that without sounding, you know, nasty about it, but it gets a little tiresome. Well, um, it's just not something that you identify with. Exactly. So yes. so you don't there's there's nothing engaging about that content for you. Uh, nothing at all. Nothing right. at all. Um it, it inspiring, but Well, I mean you can appreciate but it, 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 but it's not it's not what you're there for. Right. Right. Um but I have yet to see anyone on that page comment that, and, and I guess it, it's, I guess it's self fulfilling prophecy. No one who's triggered by non alcoholic beverages is going to be posting on this page. True. <laughs> so I guess I answered True. my own question. Uh, but yeah, it's a, um, it's just such an. I, I've never seen this type of response to NA before, and when you read the comments on this article online, for the most part, people are going. What are you talking about? NA has been like the best thing ever to happen to me in my sobriety journey. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So people are um, – maybe this is just one person who's hooked up with too many exes. It <laughs> uh, could be. Yep. <laughs> Their um, life is full of regerts. Yes, yes. Oh, mm-hmm. so many regerts. I, I just, but I, I think the point is an interesting one, you know, especially if you're interacting with other folks who are in recovery, um, some of them who go this way as, as an option – if that is still a triggering thing to you, it's just one more thing out there in society that's a problem. Yep. That that you just need to, you know, avoid entirely. Yeah. I I I enjoyed that article. I wasn't sure what to think about it when you just dropped it on my text. I'm like, uh oh. This is either gonna be really good or it's gonna be a rant. <laughs> so it, it was a little um, half and half, I think. It was a little half and half, yeah. And and I felt that the author had an axe to grind a bit, mm-hmm. um, which is probably where a lot of good journalism starts. But um, I, I found it interesting. Some of the context they were talking about was the not so much about the beer, but about the NA spirits and the the rise of the of the NA cocktail bar scene and how it almost seemed like they were. I almost say appalled is too strong of a word. But they seem to fall into the the trope of, well, since it doesn't have alcohol in it, it shouldn't be that expensive. Oh, yeah, that's and not the case. <laughs> no, no. Um, it's almost, it's like, it takes a lot of work to formulate these things. And frankly, a lot of the ingredients cost so much because they're not made in large, you know, like commercial scale agriculture quantities. So you're buying like, wild harvested wild crafted you know herbs and spices from all over the planet to get the right kind of kick that you want and then it's always the same old complaint these things don't have the same you know burn or or fizz of that you would get with the alcohol 
Mm-hmm. Well, no kidding, dumbass. There's no alcohol in it. Yeah, that's where the burn's <laughs> coming from. Jesus, <laughs> would you stop comparing these things to their alcoholic counterparts because they're not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Now, it's a lot easier in a marketplace to say this is a gin with no alcohol so that people have an understanding of how you intend to use it. Yep. But that doesn't mean that non-alcoholic gin is going to taste just like your Tangeray or your or your Sapphire or whatever. It's not. But use it as a I, – I took it as an opportunity to explore what else could be done, not with an idea of this is going to be a drop-in replacement without all the regerts. Right. So I – because, you know, it was a few years ago, I was forced into sobriety uh, due to medication, and it was – I took it as an opportunity to see what – this other side was really like now i'm curious to go back because two years in this industry can be a long time oh sure and to see what else is out there i actually found a few on the spirit side that i liked quite a bit and obviously we know what happened on the on the beer side Mm -hmm. we we did some serious exploration there (laughs) uh and and continue to but but the the whole concept is is i find it how do i want to put this i find it they're like parallel but they're not equivalent. It's a new category. Yeah. It it's not a it's not I don't find it to be a line extension. It's it, if you want to go into marketing definitions there, it really is an entirely new category. I, I think this author's concern is that it's being treated like a line extension and it's it, I would suspect for him Part of the triggering is the atmosphere, the party atmosphere, and the the bar atmosphere, and yeah. and that's part of the problem, and that's yeah. what these non-alcoholic bars are trying to set up. And and when you've got these non-alcoholic spirits, because you're right, he does focus on those. Um, I, I think there's a trigger here beyond the flavor of the alcohol. It's the, it's the process of of imbibing in general that's problematic for him. Yeah, that that I agree with, and I think there's validity there. Yeah. I, I found that interesting to think about. I thought about it actually quite a bit after I'd read that article. I was doing other things and and thinking about the intention might be great to say, hey, look, you can still enjoy this social atmosphere if you have an issue with alcohol by consuming these non-alcoholic beverages. But in many cases for people that have issues with alcohol, it's not about – it isn't all about the fact that the alcohol is there. It's about the addictive behavior mm-hmm. and the environment in which those things occur. And so I can see how they have the the author has a has a point there. Um, yep. And it, but but I would also I would counter that also by saying the NA market doesn't exist for people who have problems with alcohol only. Right. There are people who choose not to consume alcohol for other reasons that don't have an addiction problem. So for them, it's a whole new world, right? It allows them that's it can help make them more feel more included in those social atmospheres where we have a arguably an unhealthy association with alcohol. <laughs> but but I, I it's well that's why we're talking about it. I found it an interesting sort of dichotomy. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And and he points out some interesting things um and, and I think there's some conspiracy theory going into this too. It talks about <laughs> the fact that, you know, Seedlip, which is one of the big non-alcoholic spirits um providers is owned by Diageo. And he actually goes as far as to say you have to wonder if a company like that is putting out any spirits hoping to get people into a cycle of 
trying the NA spirits and then going back to the alcoholic spirits. No, I call which, bullshit which, on which that. I call bullshit on that too because there's plenty of profit to be made on the non-alcoholic. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, and he he likens it to um, Marlboro who invested into into Juul, you know, the oh. vaping stuff that, oh, it's all, it's all, they're just trying to own every part of that pod and bring people into the, the higher profit ones. Um, no, I think they're, they're trying, that's they're what he trying goes, to own every side of the pot. Yeah. That's the idea. <laughs> yeah. Not, not to force people over to one side. Uh, and then he uses phrases like capitalist hellscape. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's a, that's a great, I, I like that. Yeah. If vapes and Diet Coke didn't exist, I'd probably have just accepted not having soda and cigarettes instead of going back to cigarettes and real soda. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that's a personal decision. Well, and I don't like the concept of real soda either. So I was just going to use that that comparison where N.A. and and alcoholic beverages like, you know, Coke and Diet Coke. Yeah. Nobody picks up a Diet Coke thinking it's going to taste just like Coke. Mm-mm. Right. So you go into it with this with this concept and. Are people writing articles in various, you know, tabloid rags about railing on the fact that diet soda doesn't taste like the sugary counterpart? No, because you go into that knowing it. But yet we have this fixation, at least in the media, about N.A. not being like the the real thing. Well, it's a real thing in and of itself. So like it for that and know that it's going to be different, but it can still exist side by side in the brand line. But it's not an extension of what you already have. Mm-hmm. It's, it's that simple. It is. It is. He, he 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 and he ends this article talking a lot about the the culture of marketing and drinking contributing to over drinking. And yes, any beverages mm-hmm. can can keep you in that culture. That's that's him. I've I've seen so much evidence again on that Facebook page in particular mm-hmm. of people where any beers have allowed them to to be who they are without the alcohol problem and 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 give them so many options that there's no need to go back to the alcohol right right and i i mean kudos to the guy who wrote this it was a guy right yeah i think so um, and uh and this was an article what where did we find this this was in um, slate was yes it? slate slate yeah yeah. His, yeah ian ian is his name i assume yeah. it's a guy <laughs> yeah and so i think that i i love what i really like about these kind of articles uh, not specifically just about the our industry but in general, is like they've they bid on something, something about this kind of ground their gears, mm-hmm. right? And they that persuades them, right, to dig deeper into what's going on and to present some findings. You just got to be careful that you read between the lines and 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 <clears throat> filter out the, uh, the the subtext if 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 that's not what you're looking for. Oh yeah, I mean, he's not going to change my mind on non-alcoholic beer, but the I, I honestly hadn't thought about the the culture of drinking being a trigger. Um, and it's it made me think. That's me too, and that's what I that's what I like. I appreciate about that article. Yeah. But man, last night I had a uh, sitting in the chair uh, in front of the fire. <laughs> no, it was the fire was in the other room. Um, but uh, we were watching a movie, and uh, I just went in and grabbed a, a maple brown from Athletic. Mm. Cracked that baby open. Oh my god, it was so good. I'm like, this is this is awesome. This is a good beer. I didn't think this is a good N.A. beer. I'm just like, wow, this is a good beer. Mm-hmm. And didn't really consider it until later until I got up and got another one and cracked that open. and said, wow, this is a good beer. And I'm like, wow, two really good N.A. beers. <laughs> <laughs> and I can anyway. still get out of the chair and go get them. <laughs> exactly. No headache for James. This is awesome. Yep. Uh, 
Cool. Good times. It hey, it, it works. It mm-hmm. works for many people. So a yeah. very interesting article. It makes me think maybe there's a maybe I should submit to Slate my uh my ever evolving write up on dogs at breweries. Oh, you should. Yeah. Yeah. The the whole segment's called Man Yells at Cloud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 All right. Are you ready to pivot? Sure, why not? Let's pivot. Let's pivot. I have a a, a bit of a farming topic to talk about. People are like, thank God, finally. <laughs> <clears throat> the two of them, the other two and a half are like, oh, we want to hear more market stuff. <laughs> um so this is about talk about gear grinding. This is about crop consultants hmm. uh and, and those of us in you know the specialty crop industry will know certainly if you're growing hops frankly or any other specialty crop in areas other than let's say oh the coasts <laughs> of the u.s or maybe you know like the finger lakes district where they have a lot of grapes and apples and things like that the crop consultants you're going to get is going to know about three things Corn, soybeans, and alfalfa, and that's it. <laughs> Maybe a little wheat. <laughs> and and the labs that they use, the forms that they use, their software packages that they use to calculate nutrient density and availability and all that kind of stuff is all going to be calibrated for those crops. Okay. Because why would they do anything else? So this, this segment is sponsored by, don't believe everything you read, um, I've seen recently on, on the Discord from some of our, our hopnologists. Here's the here's the data, right, that's come back from my crop consultant. Or here's the here's the uh, the recommendation that's being put forward by my agronomist. Okay, let's take a look at it, right? At first blush, right? Very nice looking reports, um, good bar bar graphs, you know, all sorts of math. Uh, in there and you're like wow this looks legit Um, and then you start digging into it and I'm not saying that these are not legitimate they are but you have to consider the context in which these things are being developed and what is the subject matter expertise of these people Um, you might say James soil is soil soil chemistry is soil chemistry right doesn't matter if you're growing corn or you're growing hops to some extent that's true uh, but it does matter what the agronomist or a crop consultant or cooperative you're working with has set up as their standard in their system uh, because they're I most likely, and I say most likely because I'm sure there's a few really, really good ones out there that are resetting the chemistries or the ranges and expectations based on your soil type on your farm where you took the sample from or they took hmm. the sample from. Okay. In most cases, I do not see that happening. I see what they do is they have some database that has general, generic, you know, like, okay, in this range, we sort of had this silt loam, which sort of has this pH, it sort of has this, it sort of has that. And all that gets plugged into a, a program and just spits out best ranges, high, low, average, this is what you need to do, blah, blah, blah. But is it actually specific to your soil type? Because what do we know about hops compared to these other row crops is that you can make to row crops every year adjustments and those adjustments are going to be very, very short lived, but that's okay because your crop is very, very short lived. <laughs> you're going to, you're going to grow it in that season. You're going to get rid of it. And next year's a, a blank slate, right? 
Yeah. Well, hops are not like that. So the things we do to our to our soil this year are going to have impacts for years and years and years. Or they can, or they're not, because you're treating it in a manner that is only being considered for these annual crops. So that's the number one issue I see and have seen over the last few months from our from our hopnologists is that many of these recommendations are being made very narrow-mindedly based on on these row crops, annual crops. And in some cases, they're using in the same soft, these same software packages will have like, hey, is this an annual crop? Is this a perennial crop? What is this? Is it a woody? You know, they're, they're like a woody vine, like grapes. And, they've, and then in those packages, those software packages, they have very generic things, very generic data sets and, and calculations put in there. And so you, the agronomist or, or crop consultant might have those calculations at hand that they can use. You're like, just, I'll just pick this other drop down. But was it configured? Okay. Probably not. So we've got to be really, really careful with understanding, you know, being honest about what our, our consultants and specialists, agro- agronomic, agronomic specialists in our region actually know about. Mm-hmm. And this, this goes back to it reminds me of when we had people first signing up for the Charter Grower Program and saying, oh, well, I've grown this and this. How much different can hops be? It's like, okay, right. Right. That, that's probably the attitude some of these consultants have as well. Right. They're just, to your point, they're lumping it in with everything else. So the, another dirty little secret <laughs> in, in the crop consultant industry, mostly if you're dealing with an agronomist or consultant that's tied into an agricultural cooperative, uh, they're pretty unbiased um, on the information they're giving you, they're providing a service, certainly if you're in their cooperative. But again, their their subject matter expertise, right? The domain of that expertise is probably fairly limited. Uh, so just be aware of that going into it. It doesn't mean that they don't have good information to share, but just be aware that that's the case. Um, use an extra level of scrutiny for private crop consultants. Um, and this is speaking as one. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, I can tell you, uh, we are approached or like sort of like YouTubers that get that use all these fancy uh, tools and and other at other things were sponsored, right by by a company, and be very careful about what they are recommending that that you use. Um, do your research. Ask them. Are you getting are you sponsored by this company, right? Are you a rep for them, like an independent rep? Are you, uh, are you getting any sort of royalties from from making this sale? Like, why are you recommending this to me? Uh, and I see this extensively, where what we call, and we've talked about this years ago, but it's, it's always good to bring up this um, ASPS alternate plant and soil amendments. So, the stuff that falls into the snake oil category. Uh. <laughs> um, those those compounds, a lot of them are, you know, biostimulants or soil and metabolic enhancer or some some kind of, you know, baloney like that, have some efficacies. They do I've seen them work. The problem is is that they don't work consistently and they can't be manufactured consistently to the point where you can run field trials and the EPA says, Yeah, I buy that. Um so they go into this alternate soil and plant or plant and soil amendment category. Those companies, having worked for one, uh, 
will oftentimes go to these independent crop consultants and basically bring them on board as internal consultants to help, you know, hey, you're going to help us understand the market or what is your region doing and and how can we get involved? And really that's subtext for, we're going to give you a kickback if you can get us more sales in your region. And so they try to subvert the the big ag sector, like marketing into co-ops and putting big flashy commercials on college Saturday TV for a Nebraska Wisconsin football game for because that's the only time you're going to see agrochemical commercials on television. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and and they will go try to go right to their market almost direct to consumer, but they're using these agronomists or crop consultants they have uh, and, and continue to, to get to those people and making these recommendations. And what's the harm other than maybe reputational to a crop consultant if they hawk one of the, a snake oil, let's say, and it does nothing. Right. Well, you can always blame it on something else. Well, it must not have been the right time, or you must have done something wrong, or blah, 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 right? But they sold some goo. Are you going to buy it again? Probably not. But what's the likelihood that that company is actually going to end up making sales again if it doesn't work? Very low. So there's no skin off the back of the of the consultant to be able to push these things. Hmm. Um, I see this really, really quite heavily in, like, uh, not certainly not after COVID, uh, but Remember back when we used to go to conventions and conferences? Those were fun. Oh, yeah. Um, in the trade show, you know, there's always a trade show room. And there's always a group of consultants or somebody in there. And they're they're positioning a line of, you know, plant nutrients and plant vitamins and, you know, all these sorts of things. And be really, really careful and be really critical of them uh, because I – if you get too deep in with them without understanding what their motives are, you're not going to have a good time. Sure. And I would say especially anything that is geared toward general or, oh, yeah, I know it says it works on this, this, and this, but it's perfect for hops too. Like you mm – -hmm. it is such a different crop. Right. I Let me give you an example. Um, so we have – I don't know around the rest of the world and the country. But, so we have these things called biodigesters. So – we have a few cows in Wisconsin, if you didn't know, and uh, like it outnumbers people like four to one. But uh, biodigester sounds like something I would need after hitting burrito shack down the road. From burrito here. shack down or eating a whole brisket by yourself. Um, <laughs> How'd you know what I was doing tomorrow? <laughs> tomorrow? Right now, you got it sitting right on your lap. No, it's cooking. Uh, it's cooking now. Oh, OK. Gotcha. So we have to do something with all this manure, right? This, And so you put it, you run it through this biodigester and it takes whatever can be digested and turned into methane, turns into methane, and you use that to run generators and you make power off it, right? Well, you're left with all these solids because you're not burning any biomass. You're, you're burning the methane that's coming off the digestion. Uh, so you're left with all this fluffy biomass, and it's super high in carbon. It's got a really, really high cation exchange capacity. So you're like, ooh, that sounds good for my soil, right? It's also really high in salts hmm. because you're concentrating all of the dissolved salts that are in the liquid, and the liquid is urine. Uh, you're, you're condensing all that down. Now, it's full of nitrogen which is great. And so people look at him like, holy cow, this is like, you know, 10% nitrogen. And as a biofertilizer source, that's a huge amount of nitrogen. 
And so what we see is in the cases where these biodigesters are privately owned, uh, that this is a waste product for them. So they can try and sell it. They can do this. They can do that. But they can also, their best way to sell it is by having, frankly, the crop consultants tell people that they need to put this stuff on their soil. And for row crops, it's probably not a bad idea because you can go out and land spread it. You can build up your soil biomass. You can add all sorts of, you know, other phytonutrients, potassium, uh, phosphorus, you know, nitrogen, all the, all the stuff that we always talk about. But remember, this is a process of, of concentration. And the number of times I have seen crop consultants recommending spreading these biosolids on hop yards because, oh, hops need a lot of nitrogen. You guys need to use this. He's like, okay, great. Give me the analysis. Oh, well, it's high in this and this and this NPK. I'm like, yeah, no, no, no. Give me the micronutrients. Oh, well, you'll have to go. You'll have to go back to the, to the lab for that. Of course I would, right? Mm-hmm. Go back to the lab. You get it. And I bring it in and I'm looking at it and I'm doing the numbers and I'm like, how much of this stuff do I need to put on my land? Right. For hops. And they're like, well, well, how much do you need? Cause you, you know, hops need a lot of nitrogen. I'm like, so you don't even know how much my hops need. <laughs> and you're telling me to do this stuff. Okay. Let me calculate it. I had, I would have to, on the mound, I would have to spread it a foot and a half deep. Right. To, to, to appreciably offset my nitrogen concentration. Oh, well, you know, don't use it for that. You can till it in the rows and improve your, your soil mass and, and, and uh, soil biomass and soil health. That may be true. Run the numbers again. It would be toxic in boron. <laughs> right? And you point this out to people and they're like, oh, is that a problem? Oh, that, I mean, <laughs> the word toxic was in my sentence. I'm pretty sure right? it was a problem. Right. Corn needs a lot of boron. Right. This isn't corn, jerky. This is hops. So, I mean, that's a. That's an example of one that something that I lived mm-hmm. <laughs> where oh it's it's like <clears throat> I appreciate it. I know what you're trying to do, right? You're trying to offer me options, you're trying to trying to do all the things you need to do, but it becomes pretty evident pretty quick that you don't have any clue what you're talking about mm-hmm. as it relates to my crop. And that is a huge issue for people in regions where specialty cropping is not a thing. We we talk so much about hiring professionals when you need extra when you need when you need that expertise that you don't mm-hmm. have to do it all yourself but yeah i think i think the punchline here is just you sort of need to know more than them anyway <laughs> exactly you, you need to you need you know let the buyer beware however many tropes you want to throw at it but yeah um it's it's scary with the lack of knowledge out there for hops and the assumption that it's just one more flower the how many times, I mean, it's a plug to become a, a hopnologist because you get on, you get on the discord and you see the questions that, that the hopnologist post and, you know, somebody's always like sitting down with their coffee, getting ready for J- the James diatribe to, to, to kick up. Oh yeah. And certainly like in the, in the nutrients, the plant nutrient ones, and oftentimes in the um, pests and disease one, because these answers are not simple. Mm-hmm. And they take, you have to set the stage and you have to tell the story so that the individual is, walks away educated and understands why they're doing what they're doing. And you just don't see that in, in crop consultancies. You just, you get a report, they tell you, I'm supposed to use this stuff, put this stuff on your soil and everything will be okay. What? Why? Why? How? (laughs) What? I mean... Where's the responsibility and the accountability in that? There isn't. 
Yeah. So tell me why this works. Tell me why I need to use it, blah, blah, blah. You know, I, and there's the one instance most recent, you know, one of our hypnologists had a, a recommendation that, that, oh, I need to put this stuff on my soil because uh, these chemicals, you know, are out of whack and I need to get the ratio back in and, oh, there's too much of this in there. So I need to put this stuff on there in order to, to flush this stuff out. It's stuff I don't want out. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, what? <laughs> Doesn't work that way. <laughs> right. You don't need to use this stuff. You just need to flush your soil. All right. Let's say you have too much salt in there. Well, the way you get the salt out, just like your water softener works, right. Are trying to take calcium and magnesium out of your water. That's the stuff that makes it hard. And you use a resin for that, much like your soil, and then you got to knock all those things off the resin so that it can be recharged or to do it all over again. And you do that with salt, right? Usually sodium or potassium. And you do that because you can flood the system with sodium and potassium. It forces those other ions off the, off the exchange, and the sodium or potassium takes their place, right? But those things are easily exchanged. Right. Yes. The calcium and magnesium can muscle their wind there and knock those little suckers off of there, and it's not a problem, right? But the way you would do to get those off of there otherwise is just to flush it with a tons of water, which is why water softeners take a lot of water to regenerate. Same thing happens in your soil. I'm not using any special additives in my water softener to help my resin back flush and get all that sodium off of there. No, because you don't need to. Sodium is hyper soluble in water. You just probably don't have enough water running through your soil complex in order to do that. And it's like, well, if I, if I were to go and use this stuff, it's going to help me do this. I just got to spread this on there and, and, then, and then irrigate a couple of times and everything will be fine. No, it doesn't work that way, right? You're going to spend how much money to do that? And you're going to maybe move the needle, maybe a tiny little bit. What's the underlying reason of why it is that way in the beginning? Right. If that's what they're saying the issue is, mm -hmm. let's say you have too much sodium in your soil. Why is it like that? Usually from years and years and years and years and years of overspreading manure. But some soils can ultimately can be high in sodium in general. That's an example without going into much, much deeper detail of why we need to. You said it. Why we kind of need to know more than the consultants that we're talking to. It's almost like when you go to talk to a, or hire a crop consultant. You're looking for confirmation of what you already know. Yeah, right? which is which is a little bit dangerous because sometimes you're looking for uh, what's the word confirmation bias. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah confirmation like, bias. You're 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 looking for someone to agree with what you've already done and make you feel better about it. Um, that that's correct. Which is confirmation so, bias. <laughs> but but that's on you, right? Uh, fair. That, I mean, that's that's on you to know, and you already have a level of confidence you think you've got something going on be like, wait a minute, how does this work? You know, if you don't, if you don't, if, if you're getting fed a line and you're just like, okay, and I'm going to walk away and go for, you know, and, and take it at face value. I mean, that's, that's an awful lot of trust to put in somebody else that you're paying for your entire crop. What do you know about this scenario? Ask for second opinions if it doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. um, that's what the discord's good for. So plug, plug, yeah. plug plug away absolutely <laughs> it absolutely is those conver those conversations and invariably someone pops up and says yeah i tried that three years ago and you know it was great or it was a disaster but but you know if, if you can ask you can't be an expert in everything but if you can ask just the right questions where you know when you see your consultant kind of raise an eyebrow and and go uh like okay maybe this isn't the right consultant for me 
It's tricky. Exactly. exactly. It's not, if it was that simple, everybody would be doing it. Perfect. Awesome. I'm glad I could help.